And we're taking this series from Hebrews chapter 11. So let me encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. And we will look at some of these heroes of the faith. Hebrews 11 is an amazing chapter because it starts out with a definition of the meaning of faith in verse 1. I think some people say this isn't extremely helpful to me. I would like something a little more concrete instead of something that appears to be more theoretical. But it isn't. It's extremely practical. Faith is being sure of what we hope for. And it is being certain of what we do not see. Now, that which is hoped for is not yet here. That which is invisible still seems to be ambiguous. And yet faith is being sure and certain of what is not yet here and what we cannot yet see. We're going to see in a moment what that means, but it is at the basis and foundation of genuine faith. And then the scripture spends a lot of time, not just with a meaning of faith, but talking about the value of faith or the importance of faith. For instance, in verse 3, by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. We understand by faith. Faith is able to capture what science cannot see. And they are not in contradiction. That is, true science and true faith are not in contradiction with one another. But faith allows us to go beyond the veil and deeper and to understand things that have been revealed to us by the one who was there at creation, God himself. So by faith, we understand. We are certain and confident, verse 1, and we have understanding, verse 3. And verse 2 tells us this is what the ancients were commended for. That is, those who lived in long ago times. The people of history, Bible history, the ancient people of faith were commended for this. They were lauded for their faith. They were encouraged and recognized for it. And that's where the illustrations of faith then begin. But talking about the importance of faith, we need to understand that faith is vital and important because over and over, the scripture tells us not only do we understand by faith, but we, for instance, live by faith. Look at chapter 10 of Hebrews and verse 38. But my righteous one will live by faith. Now that is a quotation from the book of Habakkuk, chapter 2. It was a contrast statement talking about the wicked and proud of the world who are going to be judged, but in contrast to the wicked, the just, the righteous person, will live by faith. It identifies the person. It identifies their uh, direction in life, their mode of living, their experience on this earth. They shall live. They shall live in this world, they shall live in the next world, and they do it by faith. This statement is so vital and important, it's also quoted in the book of Romans, chapter 1, 
and the book of Galatians chapter 3, as well as Hebrews 10. So faith is important because it is vital for life. Without it, you do not live. Look at verse 6 of chapter 11. Hebrews 11, verse 6, and we're going to get to this again, but I want to jump ahead and just mention that this is why faith is so vital. Without faith, it's really hard to please God. Is that what it says? It's impossible to please. It's not difficult. It is impossible to please God. So mark it down. If you're not willing to live by faith, you cannot have a life that honors and pleases Jehovah. That makes it extreme, extremely important. Or how about 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, a verse that we have up on the screen, you know it well. The just, or, or, or we walk by faith and not by sight. The NIV uses the word live instead of walk. The word walk is a metaphor to describe your way of living all that you experience, the way you think, the way you, uh, you approach life, the decisions you make, the actions you take. That's your life, that's your walk on this earth. And then 1 John chapter 5 adds this vital note of importance. Everyone who is born of God overcomes the world, and this is how we do it. We overcome the world by what? That was weak. <laughs> we overcome the world by? I think you're with me now. Good. So faith <clears throat> is being sure of what we do not see, being certain of what we only hope for. It gives us understanding in how God has worked in the past. It is vital for us to live. It's impossible to please God without it. And the secret to the victory in our Christian walk is to be people of faith. Wow. Let's learn about this thing called faith. Let's make it more practical. Let's experience it in our daily lives. And the way to do that is then to look at these illustrations of faith. And there are about 15 different names that are mentioned here, uh, beginning with Abel in verse 4. 15 different illustrations. Human illustrations, men and women, the ancients who were commended because of their godly lives. But more are mentioned, uh, even whose names aren't, meant, aren't listed. For instance, in verse 32, it talks about Samuel and the prophets. Verse 32 says, time fails me to tell you everything about all of these great heroes of the faith. Then in verse 35, women received their dead back. These were great women of the faith. Others, verse 35, were tortured. Verse 36, some. <laughs> so you've got these indefinite others and women and a large group like the prophets and some. In other words, it's not just the spiritually elite who are heroes. It's anyone who walks by faith. Faith sometimes has a grand result. Women receive their dead back to life again. But notice others, verse 35, were tortured and died. And some were persecuted 
and put to death by the sword. So faith does not guarantee success in this world. It doesn't guarantee a long life. What it does guarantee is an exciting life that pleases God. And that's why you and I need to live by faith. Well, this morning, I would like to focus our attention not on the first person mentioned, Abel, verse 4, but the second person mentioned, Hebrews 11, verse 5, Enoch. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended, like the ancients in verse 2, as one who pleased God. And that is the context for that great verse that we often rip out of context and quote as though it stands alone and without faith. It is impossible to please God. This is how we learn it, the life of Enoch. What you have here in Hebrews 11 is actually a summary statement of his life. So what I would like to do is to go back to the historical uh, dealing of Enoch's life, which is Genesis chapter 5. So let's turn all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 5, and to get the history. Let's get the lowdown on Enoch's life, and I think it is amazingly fascinating. I suppose the first thing that we notice is that Enoch lived in difficult times. He's mentioned in chapter 5, but it's very important to see what was happening around him. For instance, in chapter 3, we have the discussion of the fall of man, right? God said, if you take of the fruit, you shall surely die. The devil said in chapter 3, you shall not surely die. Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, and what happened? They died. That's because whatever God says takes place. So in chapter 4, you have the first murder. Actually, a couple murders are mentioned in chapter 4. And when you get to chapter 5, everyone is dying off. So-and-so was born, he begets so-and-so, and he dies. So-and-so was born, he gives birth to so-and-so, and he lives so many years, and he dies. And he lives, and he dies. It is monotonous, it is depressing, and there's one bright light that changes the formula in chapter 5, and it's Enoch. We read in verse 19 that Jared became the father of Enoch, and Jared lived 800 years. By the way, this is the age when people lived a long, long time. We're trying to get back to that age. That's what modern medicine wants to accomplish and they have increased the average age, age span of, of those who live in uh, advanced countries and, and are able to take wonderful medicine. And they've increased it from three score and 10 to maybe 80, maybe 90, a few to 100. These people lived 800 years, 1,000 years. You say, I would like that. I'm not so sure I would. But we'll, that's a whole other matter. So uh, Jared gives birth to Enoch, and he lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Although Jared lived, lived to be 962 years, then he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, 
he became the father of Methuselah. What is he known for? Being the oldest man in the Bible, right? Uh, Methuselah lived over a thousand years or almost a thousand years. And so he has the record, as far as we know, as being the oldest human being. Enoch is his dad. And it says that he lived uh, 65 years, then became a father. Verse 22, after he became a father, he walked with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters altogether. Enoch lived 365 years. He walked with God, and then he was no more because God took him away. So he was living in extremely difficult times. It was an ungodly day. In fact, Enoch is mentioned in the book of Jude in verse 14, and it says he prophesied, being the seventh from Adam, to the ungodly. And the word ungodly is mentioned like four times in one verse. If you go to chapter 6, verse 5, it says man's wickedness was great, and every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil. So before Enoch comes on the scene, there's the fall of man. And there are the first murders. And after chapter 6, mankind is totally corrupt and God is going to have to send the flood. By the way, you don't get a pass on living a righteous life simply because you live in wicked times. Oh, I wish I would have lived in the first century. That was a godly era. <laughs> no, it wasn't. I wish I would have lived with Abraham. That was a wonderful time where righteousness dwelled on the earth. No man was wicked. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be. None of us get a pass simply because we're living in difficult times. But here they are, living and dying and living and dying. But then there appears to be a crisis in Enoch's life. Did you notice that he lived, this is verse 21, he lived for 65 years and then became a father. He lived like apparently everyone else. And then he had a son. Verse 19 says, after he became a father. Or excuse me, verse 22. After he became a father, he walked with God. Now, I don't know whether it was simply the revelation of having a child that finally made him responsible. Or to set up and take notice that he needs to lead this child rightly. We have many young couples coming to church and they're saying, you know, we haven't been attending church for a long time, but we had a baby. And we just kind of feel like we need to bring that baby upright. Well, I'm glad they're doing that. But so it's kind of a change in their life. And we don't know exactly what the change was. Now, here's the theory that some people have. Methuselah, when he was born, was given his name, and it literally means when he is gone, it shall come. And what happens when Methuselah dies? The flood, right? The flood comes. So did God give him a revelation, that is, give Enoch a revelation that when his son died, judgment was coming on the earth, and Enoch changed his lifestyle? We don't know for sure. Oswald Sanders wrote, the baby's name may memorialize a divine revelation concerning the coming judgment that brought Enoch to a crisis of faith and completely changed his life. It's a guess good guess. 
But there was something that changed his life. 65 years he lived. The next 300 years he walked with God. By the way, that's pretty consistent, isn't it? To walk with God for 300 years. And he died at the age of 365. By the way, that's middle age compared to the rest of the people in this chapter. His life was changed. He began to walk with God. Did you notice it's mentioned twice? He walked with God, verse 22. He walked with God, verse 24. Wouldn't you like to be the individual whose life is marked by this simple phrase, he walked with God? If you take a moment sometime and go into Deepdale Cemetery and look for the grave marker of Dr. Howard Sugden, who pastored this church for almost 40 years, you will see on that stone these simple words, Howard F. Sugden, he walked with God. Wow. And that's what Enoch has written, engraved, and etched on his stone. He walked with God. Not just for the elite. It's for all God's children. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9, you were called to have fellowship with Jesus Christ. That means share your life with him. And the best metaphor to describe that is this phrase, to walk with God. Is it possible for you and I to walk with God? Absolutely. And then notice in verse 24, he was no more because God took him away. That's the very thing we read a few moments ago in Hebrews chapter 11. But now I want to ask the question, okay, if you and I can walk with God, what does it look like? What does it mean to walk with God? And I think, again, using some picture to aid our learning, imagine yourself taking a three-mile hike with a friend. There'll be some things that are true of that incident of that situation that also have a corresponding spiritual application if we're walking with God. For instance, if you're walking with your friend, you're going to be going in the same direction, right? You're going to be walking the same path. It cannot be said that you're walking with someone if you go into opposite directions. You have to be in close proximity to one another, on the same path. Now, if you want to walk with God, you have to be on the same path that God is on. And what is the path? It's the path of righteousness. We mentioned it a moment ago. Think of Psalm 23. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. This is John chapter 1. If you say you have fellowship with him and walk in the darkness, you're a liar. And you're not practicing the truth. But if you walk in the light as he is in the light, that's when you have fellowship with God. And so that's the way we are to have fellowship with God. We must walk on his path. Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 16 says, ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? And walk in it. And you shall find rest for your souls. 
That's a great verse. Jot that down, Jeremiah 6, 16. Look it up, memorize it. The end of the verse goes like this. And they would not do it. An invitation of God to walk with him on the old ancient paths of his word. And when you walk in the good way, you'll find rest for your souls. It's like what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Walk with God and you'll find rest for your soul. But they said, we will not. Do it. That's the response of the majority of people today. It's not enough to believe that God is. You must take his word to heart and walk on his path. Secondly, you need to be conscious of the presence of the person you're walking with, which involves some conversation, some interaction. Would it not be rude to walk with someone for three miles and never realize they're there. You say, it happens all the time. Every time I go out with my husband, he doesn't even know I'm there. Well, that's sad if that is true. Very sad. Even more so if the person you're walking with asks you a question and you ignore them. So God says to you, hey, how are you doing? Nothing. Have you read my word lately? Nothing. You go through the whole day, and by the way, you're walking. Every person walks. That's your life. Pastor Doug read a moment ago from Psalm uh, 1, and it says, walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. You're walking whether you want to or not. The question is, are you walking with God? Sometimes we walk through the whole day and we're not even conscious that we're in the presence of God. And one of my prayers I try to pray every day is, Father, may this day I be conscious of your presence and learn to please you more and more. I need aids, I need reminders to wake me up to the reality that I am living in the environment of God himself and I must walk in his on his path, and conscious of his presence. Thirdly, there needs to be peace, harmony with the person you walk with. Now, sometimes you may be forced to walk with someone that you are angry with, but if you have your choice, you'll go in a totally different direction, right? When you have a fight with someone, you don't want to be with that someone. And Amos chapter 3 and verse 3 says, can two walk together except they be Agreed? Rhetorical question with an obvious answer. They can't. You won't voluntarily walk with someone if you are at odds with that someone and you cannot be at odds with God and walk with God. What do I mean by that? 1 John chapter 1 again. God is light. He lives in a righteous environment. You can't have fellowship with him unless you are living a righteous life. You cannot live in disobedience with unconfessed sin. If we say that we walk with God and we live in the darkness, we're lying. Because you cannot walk with God unless you are at peace with God. But I fall and I sin every day. 
I know it. You're not telling me anything new. I do as well. Well, then how can I walk with God? Confess sin once you commit it. For it's in that same chapter that talks about walking with God who's in the light. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Wow. Did you know that 1 John 1, 9 is there so you can walk with God? Yeah. So every day I've got to confess my sin. Not to get saved again every day, but to stay right. To stay cleansed so I can be in his presence, his holy presence. I've got to be at peace. And then I must walk at the same pace with God. You and I have a tendency because of our zeal to run ahead of God. To get ahead. Have you ever run ahead of God? You've made decisions and God wasn't on board. You didn't even ask him, actually. You thought it'd be okay. After you made the decision, you said, oh, by the way, God, is it okay with you? What do you mean it isn't? <laughs> I've already made the decision. And our zeal causes us to run ahead of God. Lack of zeal causes us to lag behind God. God's way ahead. He's down the street and we're way back. Have you ever noticed when you're walking with someone that you've got to measure your pace? You've got to adjust your pace, right? I don't think there's a husband around who hasn't been told by his wife, can you slow down, please? <laughs> because I would like to walk with you. We have a young man in our church by the name of Cody Rich, son of John and Kathy Rich. Kathy works in our children's ministry. Cody is a Olympic elite race walker not a runner a walker i think if i have it right he is the fourth best american walker his time is the fourth best in all the nation that's pretty amazing he walks a mile in about six minutes and has walked over 12 miles each mile just a little over seven minutes for 12 and a half a 20k Unbelievable. Now, I can, do, I can keep pace with Cody if I'm on my bike. <laughs> it's my only hope. How fast is that? that is, that's amazing, the speed. Well, I'm never going to walk with him in a race, but if Cody and I are on a three-mile hike, he's got to adjust his pace to me if we want to walk together. Can he go faster? Much faster. So if I want to walk with God, he's got to adjust his pace to me, right? <laughs> That's what we often think. No, we've got to adjust our pace with his. And that's what it means to walk with God. In general, basically, same direction, same pace. At harmony with God, conscious of his presence, interacting all of the time. Now let's go back to Hebrews just for a moment and look again at verse 5. You already know the question, but what is the secret to walking with God? These four characteristics are vital and important, but what is the secret? By faith. 
Genesis didn't give us the secret. It gave us the history. It gave us the facts. Now, the summary of his life uncovers the secret to his success. Verse 5, by faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he didn't experience death. He was promoted. He was taken by God. He didn't die. Everyone else in that chapter died. He didn't. Promoted right into the presence of God. And notice, it says he could not be found. That implies a search. Can you imagine what his family and friends did? Where's Enoch? I don't know. I mean, he was out walking last I saw him. And suddenly the police are called, and all the family's engaged, and everyone's looking for him. I don't know if he had time to say to his wife or to his son, hey, by the way, I'm taking off today. <laughs> what a search that must have been. How frustrating. And how fearful they were, thinking the worst. I don't know, maybe God comforted their souls and gave them some information. But I know this, he was out walking with one day with God, and then boom, he's in heaven that, to me, is amazing. A man by the name of Preston was dying. He was a godly man and lay on his deathbed, and friends stood around weeping. He said to them, don't weep for me. I go to change my place, but not my company. I've walked with God on earth for many years, and now he's simply calling me to walk with him in heaven. Those whose life is truly holy in this wicked world are truly happy when they're promoted to glory. And death for the believer, I'm convinced, is not as terrible as we may see it. We see the human side, but I believe on the divine side there is this God coming in love with his angels to comfort and cuddle and care for his saint. And he doesn't change his vocation. He simply changes his location. And the soul who was walking with God on this earth is soon walking with God above. And did you notice this? He pleased God. Maybe that was on his tombstone, etched as an epitaph. He was taken and could not be found. Why? Because God had taken him away. And before he was taken away, he was commended as one who pleased God. Who are you trying to please? Now, I don't think it's necessarily wrong to please people if your motivation is to please God first. Because we are to live for others. But if you are a man pleaser, if you live to please other people over God, then your life, my friend, has got to be miserable. How many lords do you have? One at work, one at home, several friends. Whatever they tell me to do, I try to please. You cannot please everyone. That's why you need to learn to live to please God. And that's what Enoch did. And how did he please God? Verse 6. Well, without faith, it's impossible to please him. So he was a man of faith, a godly man, who walked so humbly. 
And he walked on this earth with God, and like it says in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 4, we shall walk with him in white. Heaven will not be any different in the sense that we get to walk with God forever and ever and ever. What about regret? How sad it would be to come to the end of your life with this regret. I missed out on the very thing I was created for. To walk with God. To have daily fellowship with God. One of the saddest stories I've ever heard is the story of the famous author Thomas Carlyle. He was Scottish, a social critic, grew up in a Christian home, but left the faith when he was in college got married, and I think truly loved his wife, but his wife became ill with cancer and was restricted to her bed. Thomas was at the height of his writing popularity and influence, and because of that, the demands were very great, and he was too, vi- too busy to visit his wife very often. Rarely was he at her bedside. She died. The funeral was on a rainy day. The cemetery was very muddy. Thomas Carlyle was extremely shaken. After the service, he went back up to her room. Things were left just as they had been when she passed away. And he found her diary and began to read it. Yesterday, he spent an hour with me, and it was like being in heaven. I love him so, said Thomas's wife about Thomas. Tears came to his eyes. He turned the page and then this next line broke his heart. I've listened all day to hear his steps in the hall, but now it is late and I guess he won't come today. TC threw the diary to the floor, rushed to the graveside, and friends said you could find him hours after the funeral on his face, in the mud, weeping, if only I had known. If only I had known. And to come to the end of your life and realize how much good God planned for you by simply fellowshipping with him. Don't die with this regret. If only I had spent more time with the one who loved me so. Let's pray. Lord, these heroes of the faith in Hebrews chapter 11, many of them are famous and we think of them as spiritual heroes. But please correct our view today if we think that they were superhuman or without error and sin. Everyone was a sinner saved by your grace. There are no perfect people, only a perfect Savior who bids us fellowship with him every moment of every day. So I pray today as we think of the summer, as we think of our time perhaps away with family, maybe A time to experience more recreation, which is good. More downtime. Lord, I pray at the center of it all will be our desire to please you. 
and to walk with you by faith and enjoy the greatest blessing this world affords to a human being, forgiveness of sins and daily fellowship with the God who made us. Take us from this place so that we might walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You're dismissed.